0: The following is a Barrett Sports
1: Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs.
0: We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic.
1: To the lows. You're fire! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong.
0: It's been 42 days since the last episode of the Sports Talker Podcast. 42! Happy New Year. I'm Stephen Strom, amped up for 2023, and you should be too. We're proud of the product's first half of the year for the podcast, but we don't have any plans of complacency on here. The content and guests will continue to be top of the line, and we start off today with someone who spent 27 years at ESPN, a longtime anchor and staple at the network, Kenny Main. We talk a little bit about his childhood, what changed the most at ESPN, his relationship with Scott Van Pelt, some classic behind-the-scenes stories, and why he felt it was important to tell people the truth about why he and ESPN split up. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. And without further ado, here is Kenny Maine. Tell me a little bit about what life's been, I guess, um, after retirement. What are you up to? How's life going for you? I
1: wouldn't say retire I mean retired from ESPN for sure. sure um we spent that summer, which was the summer of twenty one uh just kind of enjoying a couple months, you know, I'd been putting in a lot of hours and a lot of late nights, and we took a couple trips and while I sort of debated what was gonna happen potentially next, I did the Olympics right away for uh Peacock with Carrie Champion. we did that thing um that was summer of twenty one I did a commercial or two. My daughter graduated from college, like, you know, a bunch of stuff was happening at once. And then the thing that kind of stood out was working with Caesars, where I went to college at UNLV way back when. So I had kind of a relationship with that town. Yep. And for a year or so now I've been doing, you know, it's it's sporadic, like sometimes I'll do three things in a month, sometimes I'll do nothing, sometimes I'll do one thing. It's just kind of whatever comes up, how they want to use me. Um, and then I also have a podcast called Hey Maine, and <laughs> we've been up since july i guess i get we've done sort of like two seasons if you will like yeah we did yeah, 12, yeah. Then we did 15 i think it was so we had a really good list of people i was proud of that and i thought they came off well uh and hopefully you know it keeps getting some more attention let's rewind because uh, you're known for your dry sense
0: of humor and people love you I, I what what is give us a sense of your childhood and your
1: introduction into sports broadcasting wow we were, Gretchen and I were just talking about my childhood this is going back that's my wife. um yes I from a very very young age I think seven or eight years old literally I kind of knew I wanted to do something in media I don't know you know I didn't know it was called media i you know writing is what I would have called it right right journalism yeah forming writing journaling and but I didn't know what form that would be necessarily and then as I got older like through college in, in particular I was really directed more toward news. You know, like I've said, I'd, I would have hoped to be a correspondent on Frontline or something by now or be making documentaries or, you know, something more serious. But at the local level in Seattle, way back after I'd been on the air doing news reporting for just a couple of years, our station added a weekend news. Yeah, We used to say if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us. But we were very <laughs> small. It was, it was a independent. We're the station that did the mash reruns. And had the Mariners contract for a while, and you know it was it was the cartoons, it was the Brakeman Bill show. It's one of those channels, right? Channel Eleven, and the news director is like, "You play football? We want you doing sports." So and you
0: played at UNLV, just for people yeah, that may not know.
1: Yeah, a long time ago, and it it just quickly drew my interest. Obviously, I mean the the, the difference in your days enjoyment of going to work between. The news reporting, local news, hey, there's a fire. Hey, there's a murder. You know, all these things that you see nightly on the the local news versus going to Seahawks games and Mariners games. Right. But the, the Joe Montana to John Taylor Super Bowl, if people can remember, this is 1989. They played the Bengals, beat them on a big drive to win the game. I did a show that night that I sent to ESPN, and they said, send us another tape. We want to see if that was a fluke. Ended up getting some attention from them, but I didn't get hired right away. It took several years, actually. How old are you at the network that you were working at in Seattle at this time? Um, When I quit that job, I was describing I was 29. So it took – I went a really weird path. I, For starters, going backwards, the kid who played ahead of me at UNLV, Sam King, led the nation in passing yards, got offered to go to the Seahawks. He turned him down. He was going to do something else. My coach said, hey, you should look at the guy that was behind him. That was me. I went up and through for them, signed a contract, but failed the physical for my ankle, which i had broken the year before. But I got a TV job like three minutes later, basically, like came home, upset about what had happened, never got a chance to try it, even though I didn't think I was going to be Joe Montana, you know, just yeah. trying to hang around for That's a That's amazing, though. But I called on a newspaper advertisement. This is how you found jobs back in my day, looking <laughs> for ambitious, you know, college graduate, blah, blah, blah. So I get this job at this little station. What was it called? called- kstw i was they didn't have a title for me but i would be what would be called today a production assistant a pa sure i would make phone calls following up on story you know just kind of do whatever they need me to do most people come out of college if they think they're going to be on tv whether it's sports news whatever they might get a job they might get lucky and get on the air right away but if so it's going to be pretty small time you know it's going to be community access in fargo north dakota or somewhere right you know, you're not jump. you're not starting out in Seattle. You're not starting out in right. San Francisco, whatever. I was lucky that I started out there, but it took me a couple of years to get the chance to do that. So I, I was in the background, then I did some producing. I wrote the national stories for the, for the anchors. I remember my junior college coach, I've never forgotten his advice about, he knew that a lot of us at the JC thought we were better than that and we should be at some big division one place and, you know, and, but he gave this big speech and it really hit home about whatever you are doing, make that the biggest thing in the world. You know, if you're washing dishes at the restaurant, be the best dishwasher and, and make the most money you can to get yourself in a position to do whatever the next thing it is you want to do. You know? Amen. And so I, I think I took that to heart. Like I was like, you know, it was kind of, he was kind of like telling us, don't think you're bigger than this place. Cause you're not, cause you are here. <laughs> if you were bigger already, you'd be elsewhere. Right. Yep. So so make the most of whatever. Check your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. So eventually I got on, you know, doing the news stuff. Then I moved to the sports and I was doing news and sports. Somehow I left that job on kind of short notice. And I went through several years. What's with the smirk? Just it's too long a story. I just. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What had happened was I'd been interviewed by ESPN. So definitely I was kind of like, oh, they like, you know, I probably thought a little more of myself at the time. And just didn't like the way some of the things were being handled at that station and thought I'd just venture out and see what else was out there. And I, I wasn't in the same position to do that then as I was a year and a half ago when I did that, sure. leaving ESPN, obviously. Um, but you know, ultimately it worked out. So it just took a while
0: uh, for good or bad. I guess what has changed the most about anchoring at
1: ESPN? Mm, honestly, I think, everybody's a little bit better because everybody kind of knows how to do it more efficiently. Right. Like as an example, the last show of the night always, you know, it's the one that re airs overnight and in the mornings we used to take forever to what we would call fix the show. Like if there was a typographical error on the screen or if the anchor missed up a name or a stat was wrong, you had to go back. We got to clean that up because we had all, everybody's listening as you're doing the highlight and they're like, no, 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 that's not his name. Or, oh no, he had 20 rebounds, not 19 or whatever the case. Right. So you have to clean up the show to make it okay to rear mm. without a mistake. Right. And it's one thing to stutter or stumble and get through it. And then you're like, whatever, I'll live with that. That's human, but you don't want to be wrong as far as an of fact. but it used to take us just endless amount of times to get through the process of fixing, to be able to finally go home and, you know, uh, you know p- people start getting irritable and, you know.
0: Yeah, you have any, real quick, you have any classic stories where so you kept screwing
1: up or someone it um, took well, way the, longer? The best one is the fictional version of it. When we did the show Main Street, which was our little situation comedy, Scott Van Pelt and I did a version of what I was just describing. It called Fixes. If you look up my name and the word Fixes, you can see it. And we show me failing and failing and Scott's getting angry with me. And he's talking about the dissolution of his marriage and, you know, on and, on and on. And it was pretty close to real life. I mean, stuff like that did happen. There'd be a night where one of us just couldn't get that thing out. You just, for whatever reason, you couldn't say the name, right. Or you couldn't, then you start getting into like giggling fest with Linda Cohn where she keeps cackling. Oh, okay, dude, here we go. We're going to get, you know, so, those things really did play out in real life. You didn't really need a fictional account of it. We should have been taping the real thing. It would have been better even. Um, but yeah, mostly everybody tries to bond and get through it. But as time went on and the technology got, got better, we could fix during a show. Say say I screwed up, Steph Curry had 42 points and I said 41 or whatever the case, right? They would say, just say 41. I was like, what? Just say 41, 41. And they'd take that 41 and digitally put it where it belongs and take out the 42. And they would do that during the three and a half minute commercial break in the A's or the B's. Wow. Um, You mentioned SVP. Uh, Can
0: you talk about your relationship with Scott Van Pelt and why it was so special for you guys?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, he remains a good friend. We, I remember meeting him. I think I knew who he was. I didn't, you know, you don't watch, you're doing your own job and you don't have time to watch everybody else. But I knew who he was from the golf channel. And he came in for his interview and then they brought him on and, you know, we did a, a show or two together here and there. We weren't that constant, but you know, we were very like-minded kind of looked at life and sports, I think the same way. Um, but I'd say where we got closer was during the golf for uh, a long time. I can't remember how many years I did the U S open and TPC sawgrass every year. And I would go down there with Scott and Andy North and the whole gang and they'd have me do my dumb little side stories and then show up and be like on a live shot, introduce the story, have some talk back and just being around each other, you know, sometimes renting the same house together or staying in the same hotel together and mm-hmm. you know, just the off the field stuff, if you will, you know, that drew us closer. And then when he got his own thing going, I was a contributor to that as well. And he, I would say that show more than any show kind of changed the landscape with regard to, Admitting people like to have action on games, you know, it was this dirty secret, even though everybody knew, even knew. like fantasy football, people mostly right. don't play fantasy football for fun. Usually you put in $5 or 20 or a hundred, whatever people's bet is. And ESPN and CBS and the others were running these big websites to administer fantasy right. football leagues, right? right. So you could argue they were already running some of the biggest gambling websites in the world. <laughs> it just wasn't called that, right? It was just fantasy football. And then they started dropping in bad beats of the night, and right in your face. Let's open. one of the best
0: segments on TV.
1: No, it's and it's very funny too because we can all laugh about our our lucky wins or our tough loss, You know, people who like to you know throw something on games now and then. And they they made it a very real thing. You know, can you believe Arkansas State had the ball at you know, <laughs> one? All they had to do was kneel. Instead, they handed off. The guy fumbled, and they returned. Yep. I think it added entertainment. And it was also just, it's, it's not telling everybody to go out and have action. Same thing with what I'm doing. People are already doing it. We're just kind of making it more legal and easier and accessible. You know. Just curious for younger broadcasters
0: that are listening to this. What are the similar traits that you see from the most successful broadcasters? That could be anchoring. That could be play-by-play. That could be whoever. What is
1: that overarching characteristic that you see? I think, I mean, it's cliche sort of, but just the perseverance and the hard work, you know, you you can't take it for granted once you get into whatever position it is you're doing. You can't get lazy. I know my worst shows were the ones where I probably got lazy that day. I came in a little tired and I, my heart wasn't into it like it should be. That was pretty rare. But I, I, I could, you can usually look back, whether it's sports, games where you didn't prepare for the other team, you didn't know what they were running. So in the same way, whatever your job is we're talking media here, but any job you come into it kind of like a, the wider base of knowledge and more prepared at don't feel dumb to ask questions. I leaned on the researchers all the time. We'd be 10 seconds from coming back from, hey, how do you say so-and-so's name? kriva Krazov. All right. Then you <laughs> know. So it's okay not to know everything, but seeking, you know, more knowledge and, and, and having kind of a wider base of knowledge is always beneficial and just Being into it, you know, don't ever take for granted the opportunity you have, even if if in that moment you're like, God dang, I just want to go home. It's 2.30, you know, but you still got to have the energy to just finish. Do great on that last thing that you're supposed to be doing so that the consumer watching, you know, people get criticized. You see it all the time on Twitter. Can you believe that's the effort level so-and-so put into something or, you know, people do make mistakes. And I think that's one thing. I'm pretty forgiving of I certainly you know made my share of them and I wouldn't kill some PA for giving me a bad shot she's like whatever do better next time you know or make my fallback position is always just to make fun of both me the situation our failure right I think that's more real and more honest than glossing over something and pretending something bad didn't if we go to black or color bars you got to say something you can't pretend it didn't happen right and so, like, when I did the Olympics with Kerry for, for Peacock, sometimes, you know, there were a lot of things going on. There's a lot of names. We're doing Romanian uh, team playing indoor handball or whatever the hell. You know, <laughs> So, my another way around that, you, you just say, this player doesn't like to be cited individually. He's a team player. What a great <laughs> play by that guy who did that thing. You know, there's always That's a amazing. way. And so, like, with hockey, which is probably my worst sport, not that I – I like hockey. I love going to cracking games in Seattle, but it's not in my blood, right? I didn't grow up playing it. I didn't focus on it. It's just something I had to kind of like get through it and don't screw it up. There's ways to minimize the highlight, right? You don't have to name every person who touched the puck. You great passing by the Bruins here. So-and-so score. <laughs> that is so and, good. And then once you get better, now, if they had told me, hey, you're doing hockey, I would have studied it like I, you know, I, better example is they put me on car racing show way back when this is like two years deep into the espn i know a damn thing about car racing had never followed it other than like how everybody watches the 500 or whatever right but didn't know the names didn't know the disciplines didn't know all the different divisions but i quickly had to mm. so i asked questions i asked benny parsons and jerry punch and ryan mcgee and i just leaned on those guys like dude what does this mean when this happens and slowly i kind of caught up oh i have a rudimentary knowledge that's good enough to pull off a highlight in car racing now and then the deeper you got into it the more you enjoyed it and the more you cared about it and you know so people run into that all the time you could have a job that's totally different than media all of a sudden they say to you hey we want you in charge of such and such now or you need to get on this team about such and such you better learn it right
0: absolutely really good advice last one kenny um, you know, people that part ways with networks, they go to social media, and sometimes they will just be thankful for the opportunity. Sometimes they'll go really in detail about why they parted ways. Um, yours was a mix of both. You were thankful for your time at ESPN. You also said that you were a salary uh, casualty. Um, what I guess why was that important for you to put that piece uh, on Twitter? Uh, when this all happened?
1: I don't know the answer to that. I think I remember the day pretty well where they had suggested, do we do some kind of joint statement, you know, like like when somebody retires from an organization, but I wasn't ready to retire and I'm still not. So I didn't want to say I am retiring from, it's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to try to get another <laughs> job in about a week or a day. In fact, the NBC thing came literally that same day. Somebody saw the note, Oh, hey, are you available in July? We're doing the Olympics. I was like, I said yes. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know the price. Just like, sure, I'll do something good. Um, I think it was just the way I wrote it. It wasn't, it wasn't to get back anybody or making a big declaration of it. It was more, people would probably, some people anyway, might want to know why are you quitting? and I just kind of told the truth. It just I was a salary cap casualty. It's and I don't, I've never said a bad word. At least I don't think I have. Like their you know? decision. I appreciated the opportunity the whole time and all the experiences and where it got me and so forth. They made a decision, which is their right to do, to sort of minimize whatever they thought my value was. And I decided to, like in gambling parlance, I went to play the over. Like they set a number on me. I'm going to go see if I can beat their number. And I think ultimately it was good for everybody. You know, they they didn't think of as much of me to keep me around where I was. And I didn't want to stay under those circumstances. So there's a whole bunch of other things to do out there. I certainly haven't. I don't think that I've exhausted the doing of what it is I still want to do. I got a couple things up my sleeve on pitching. But I love what I'm doing now with Caesars and the podcast. And, you know, we're paying our taxes. And we have dinner coming tonight. And we're doing all
0: right. All right. Big thanks to Kenny Main. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kenny Maine. Make sure to check out all the other articles and content we put out on BarrettSportsMedia.com. We also have our podcast to stay up to date in that sports media that we all consume, right? We all want to crave and consume that sports media on ESPN, Fox, whatever the headlines are, we've got you covered. We will talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers Podcast. I'm Stephen Strom. Enjoy your weekend.
1: Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers Podcast with Stephen Strom. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit
0: BarrettSportsMedia.com.